the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Soliker. I am your host today. And uh, again, really happy to have you joining on this episode. This is a conversation. Today's episode is a conversation that is very important to me as a parent, as someone who has school-aged children. And should be very important to you, whether you have kids or not. Uh, I firmly believe, we've talked about this a lot on this show, on this podcast, I firmly believe that what is happening in our public schools not only will impact those individual children, which it absolutely will, but it will set the course for our country. It will set the direction that we'll go as a country. When we talk about an ever-changing culture, we look at some of the ideologies, these what we might call woke ideologies. We look at critical race theory and so many of the gender issues and and all these things that have kind of been running in the background are now very public. We see videos of teachers, uh, public school teachers uh, teaching in kindergarten and some even earlier than that through elementary school, certainly into middle and high school. But young children being taught by teachers, we see videos on social media uh, of teachers bragging about the fact that they're teaching five-year-olds about gender and how fluid gender is and how gender is not set. They are talking about sexuality and uh, giving books and curriculums that speak to these things. Uh, so much of this is absurd. It's been running in the background. We've always known it was kind of there, uh, but now it's very public. And these folks with these philosophies have gone on the offense in a very real way. And uh, man, this is something that should alarm all of us. Uh, thankfully, at least from my perspective, many parents have become alarmed. And those who can have moved their children to other schools but many in communities where they have the option and the opportunity have started to show up at school board meetings, have run for school board positions. And uh, I have a good friend who is doing that here in Southern California. We're going to have her on in the next, uh, next couple of months to talk about that. But a lot of parents are really standing up and trying to take back control of what's being taught in the classroom. But this is such a critical issue, such an important conversation. And I am so thankful to be able to have someone on who can not only speak to this from the perspective of a teacher, a former teacher, but someone who now is the chief administrator of public education. Ryan Walters is with us today. And Ryan, as you'll hear, is the secretary of public education for the state of Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma is a red state, make no mistake. Uh, But as you'll hear in this interview, he is really fighting many of the same issues that we're fighting in other places in the United States, but prescribes a a remedy, an antidote for what we're experiencing and what we're seeing take place. I love his perspective. Hopefully, this will be a help to you, will be informative to you, will give you the perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Glad that you can listen to this interview with Ryan Walters.
Ryan Walters, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on today. For those of you that do not know Ryan, he's the Secretary of Public Education for the state of Oklahoma, uh, which is uh, really interesting. We'll get into this, but with your background and your bio, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in your perspective on public education generally and uh, specifically uh, there in Oklahoma, of course. But the Secretary of Education is responsible for various agencies, boards, and commissions, including the State Board of Education, College and University Boards of Regents or Trustees, Office of Educational Quality and Accountability, and the State Board of Career and Technology Education, which sounds like an awful lot. You're responsible for a whole bunch. Yeah, you know, and I mean, in, in our state, you know, we've got these various, you know, different states to do it, you know, slightly different. But, you know, obviously we've got higher ed, but we've got a great, you know, our career tech system is actually one of the best in the country where we get kids in yeah. and we get them to learn skills that are directly applicable to workforce. I think we miss so much of that in education now. We can get into mm-hmm. this, but, you know, I think we've gone so far in this belief that every kid needs to go to college. Not every kid needs to go to college. Yeah. You can develop a yeah. trade. And we, we have really got a great uh, career tech system here in the state that, that I, I work with as well. So, you know, excited about that here, here in our state. That's awesome. Even here in California, we have a good uh, junior college system. And I am constantly telling young people who particularly don't know exactly what they want to do, go to junior college for two years. It'll That's cost right. you, you know, a fraction of what it'll cost to go to a university. And uh, you'll be so much further down the road when you do that. Yeah, I think there's a fundamental issue that we've had as a country in education is in the last 30 years, we have overemphasized kind of the the academic mindset of you got to get a four year degree. And you know what? Honestly, 30, 40 years ago, folks were getting, you know, hey, you had a job when you were 16, 17, 18. And so you kind of teased out, what do I want to do? Well, now a lot of younger kids don't do that. And so they just get on this pathway of a four year degree. And a lot of times it gets them six figures in debt. And at the tail end right. of it, they don't have a job <laughs> right. that's attached to the to the type of degree that they have. So, I mean, I think it's so important to start those conversations earlier. And frankly, we got a lot of folks who go, look, I don't know that I want to send my kid to a college. If they're going to have yeah. this woke indoctrination, yeah. Yeah. hey, go learn to be a welder. You can make great money, right. um, you know, and, and avoid all that nonsense um, at the four-year universities. Yeah, that's right. Um, let, let's start, because I want to hear your background. I think it's really Again, very interesting. Um, the state of Oklahoma, obviously different than California. <laughs> but tell us, tell us about your background. How you grew up, um, yeah. where maybe your yeah. philosophies and worldview came from, and why you're doing the job you're doing. Yes, sir, absolutely. So I, I grew up in a small town called McAllister in southeast Oklahoma. Hmm. Uh, it's where in the movie True Grit, that's where they were headed to J.J. McAllister. Yeah, house. right, so right. That's kind of our, our, you know, one of our claim to fame there. But, you know, um, so I grew up, my, my, my mom was in education, um, and so I, I, I wanted to be a teacher. I had this awesome teacher when I was 15. It was a history teacher that just, I mean, I got obsessed with history. And so I wanted to be a history teacher. Went back to my hometown. I was a history teacher there, and I got nominated for some several awards. I was the teacher yeah. of the year there in my district. I was a state teacher of the year finalist. And it got me kind of looking more at, like, this system, I don't understand why this education system operates the way it does, right? It doesn't, it doesn't tend to value excellence. It tends to put all students through a similar experience, no matter what their talents or skill sets are. We don't encourage excellence in our teaching profession. you got great teachers. They make the same amount of money as your poor teachers, you know, and, and – and so I began to really unpack that and get more involved in the policy side of it. And frankly, you know, I got a story real early on that I went to a training where I had a bunch of history teachers stand up and say, hey, we don't think you should say anything positive about the Declaration of Independence. I mean, you know, it was written by wow. a slave owner. And so and wow. I got into it with some folks at this training, you know, in an argument with them. And I go, guys, how can you be a history teacher and not see the yeah. beauty of the Declaration? And so then I got more involved in the whole 
what's going on? Like, like where did right. this come from? I mean, we're in Oklahoma here. Like, how does this happen? And so that's what led me to, you know, I, I started a nonprofit. Uh, gov- the governor of the state of Oklahoma appointed me to this position. And ever since then, you know, I've been trying to do what I can to put parents more in the driver's seat of their kids' education, uh, provide more school choice and more options and transparency for parents, and get this woke nonsense out of our schools. If I mean, because to me as a teacher, and by the way, I was also a coach, so I kind of wear that hat yeah. as I was a basketball yeah. and tennis coach. But you know what? You always inspire kids, and you have high expectations on kids, and, and you want to tell them, hey, if you work hard and make good decisions, the world is, uh, is open to you, right? You can do what you want. But you know what? If we accept this woke ideology, it tells kids the opposite. Actually, the color of your skin determines a lot about yeah. you. Actually, yeah. the world is out to get you, and you can't achieve success because of the color of your skin. All you're doing is lowering expectations, and you're causing divisions, and you're causing right. our kids to hate our country. I'm sorry I just got on a rant there, but uh, <laughs> that, that's kind of you know what, what I'm passionate about when we talk about education. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. Well, it's a good rant, and what happens in the classroom really impacts not only our children, but that generation that's coming behind us and the future of our country. Um, where did this come from? This is a question that I think there probably is not a good answer to, but where did this come from, this woke ideology? I'm 40, almost 46 years old. Um, I, I remember what school was like when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, went to public school for a couple years. I was homeschooled for some years. I went to a private school, so I've kind of tried everything, right, here in California. Um, But even when I was a young person in elementary school, there were things that certainly as a Christian and coming from a Christian home, um, we didn't agree with that was happening in the classroom. But it wasn't this. It wasn't what's happening now. It wasn't conversations about gender and sexuality and, um, you know, hatred for the country that we've all grown up in. How did we get to this place? Yeah, cool. That's that's a great question. You know, what I've seen is, you know, I'll, hey, I'll give the left credit for this. You know, they have this strategic plan, and it is, right. I mean, just, I mean, it's like an end game on the country. And to me, we're mm. seeing the final stage of it, which is, you know, if, if we control the schools and we control what young people are getting in their education, hey, we win the long game. And yeah. I think what, what, what we're seeing is kind of the final stage of that coming to fruition, which is, hey, you know, here's the deal. If this young generation believes the country's fundamentally racist, that every, you know, all institutions are racist here, mm. that the country is, is its core principle is racism. If, if you believe that and you hate this country, you're for, for, for fundamentally changing everything that made us great. And frankly, you know, I thought President Trump made a great comment on this the other day going, I mean, think about if we were in a war. Would your young yeah. people even be willing to fight for this country? They're not, you know, you read, and again, I'm a history teacher, so... You know, you read these beautiful letters in World War II that soldiers would write. I mean, hey, they wanted to kill Hitler. 
because they believed in American greatness. I mean, you, you see these letters about, you know, hey, we want to defeat the Japanese because right. we believe that America is, is the shining city on a hill. I mean, they, they were proud of their country. They were willing to give their life for their country. If we continue down this road, and again, the leftists, and, and to answer your question, what they started a long time ago is if we control the colleges and universities, so we train the, pe- the teachers who are going to teach in the schools and the administrators are going to teach in the schools. Mm. Then we start applying this pressure through teachers unions to say, you've got to teach this, you've got to do that. And then we control the bureaucracy, which I'm going to tell you right now, I am not a fan of the Federal Department of Education. It should be <laughs> abolished. I mean, that's right. all they ever do is push indoctrination. They called mm. it Common Core a few years ago. Now we've got critical race theory, and now we've got diversity, equity, and inclusion. They call it all these different things. But what it is, is it's indoctrination of your kids from a bunch of lefties that have embedded themselves in our giant bureaucracy in D.C. We've got to get away from it, but, but we're seeing this play out of when you have all those things, the federal bureaucracy, your teachers' union, and a lot of your universities that are captured entities by the left, your school can turn into this indoctrination mill where you've got all this being forced on your kids. And luckily, we're in Oklahoma where a lot of the correspondence I get from people that alert me to this stuff are our right. teachers. we still got some good conservative teachers mm. that go, hey, yeah. I didn't sign up to teach this. I signed up to teach math. Not that yeah. little Johnny's racist. Right, um, right. So. Okay, so you call it you call it an end game. This is where this thing's been going, and this is where it all ends up, and here we are. So if that's the case, then is there hope for the education system? Is there hope for our public schools? Um, again, one of the interesting things to me about your background is, is your, your faith background. And a lot of people of faith have finally come to the point where they've said, you know what, forget it. We're not going to participate in public education. We're not going to be a part of it. We're going to either homeschool. The homeschool movement in California has exploded. An incredible homeschool community here in California. Uh, Christian schools, parochial schools, all private schools. So a lot of people are just pulling out saying, fine, they can have it. And you're in a position where, you know, you're kind of overseeing the public education in the state of Oklahoma. If it's the end game, then why don't we just walk away from it and say you can have it and try to do something different? Or is there hope beyond where we are right now? Oh, that, that's another, another great question. Um, we can't walk away from it. We have to, as Christians, fight for our kids. Because here, here's the thing, you know, we, we can... Hey, you know, and again, great. I love when parents homeschool. They're, I think it's beautiful when parents say, I- I'm going to dedicate so much of my time and, right. and frankly, resources to educating my kid. That, that's wonderful. Uh, in the state of Oklahoma, we have we have the you know one of the best homeschooling policies in the country of, hey, we're not going to keep records on you, keep tabs on you. Hey, that's mm. your right as a parent. Great. Homeschool your child. Um, you know, but I, I, Christians, we cannot walk away from our yeah. public schools, because that's one of the things, you know, I, I'm a public school teacher. That's my background. Uh, I am passionate about, you know, most kids attend their local public school. And yeah. if we all as Christians say, I mean, look, they're, they're doing all this stuff and I'm tired of it and, and we're going to walk away. What ends up happening is, you know, all the kids that can't walk away, all the, all the kids that, that have difficulty um, attending other educational options are going to be in those schools that are going to be flooded by leftists. And frankly, that's what I'm fighting for here is what we've seen is the persecutions of Christians in public schools. You start off this conversation with a great point of, look, you know, there used to be some left-wing stuff in schools, but like yeah. not like this. You know, and yes. what you've seen is good Christian folks go, well, I don't want to teach in the school anymore. Like, I mean, I'm basically, I'm under siege every day. We have to, and I am dedicated in the state of Oklahoma to saying, listen, I want Christians in our schools teaching our kids. 
I mean, that, that is beautiful for our kids to have Christians there. We have got to protect the Christians. We've got to make sure that their First Amendment rights are protected there. And again, I come from a faith-based background. I met my wife in the Gospel of John Bible class. You know, that's, <laughs> that's my, my background. And I that's believe pretty faith-based. <laughs> that's pretty faith-based. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and I believe that as Christians, we're, we're, we're doing, we've got to do our best. We're called to do our best for all of God's creation. And so for me, uh, I'm very passionate about giving parents the ultimate school choice of, you attend whatever school you want. Let m- money follow you because nobody knows better for your kids than you do, mom and dad. And, and then number two, we've got to push back on this far left-wing ideology in the schools. Mm. And I want to give you a quick story from yesterday. Yeah. We had a school, uh, one of our biggest schools, Tulsa Public Schools. They put in their library, we have graphic sex acts depicted in a book promoting homosexuality that is in a middle school. We've got multiple books. Libs for TikTok, by the way, hmm. discovered it. And I start blowing it up on social media going, you've got to get this stuff out of the schools. Well, guess yeah. what? Facebook censors me and wow. blocks the post wow. from being posted, pulls it down. And I go, okay, listen to this, guys. Woke, liberal Facebook has higher standards than Tulsa Public Schools do. <laughs> like, what, what kind of world are we living right. in here? Right, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Um we think about teachers, and I know a lot of good Christian teachers who are teaching in public schools. What do parents do? And I think this is, you know, kind of the big question in communities where a lot of people have uh, maybe woken up to what is happening. Um, I, I, my favorite thing to, to beat up on right now is, is Disney because I think they've just gone so far. Yep. We knew they were to the left, but they've gone so far left, they've become militant about it. But in, even in my own experience in the last year, I've gone from, uh, well, we know they believe that and they approve of that and they support that. I've gone from that to what they're doing now is anti-God, and so I have to respond yes. to it. I feel like in a lot of ways, our schools have become that. We know some of this exists. We know this has been happening. But what we've seen in Florida and what we're seeing across the country has really revealed to us that a lot of what's happening is anti-God, and we need to do something about it. Um, so what's your advice to a parent who has an elementary school you know, child, uh, someone in high school? What's your advice to them? How do they get involved? How do they make a difference? How do they keep their kids from becoming indoctrinated in that school? Uh, what do you tell them? Yeah, yes, I, I would start with, first of all, have that relationship with your kid where you're talking about what, what's going on every day at school. I think that is so key in the learning experience um, mm. of, you know, I always encourage parents, hey, I'm going to tell you everything we're going to do in class on day one. I would give parents every assignment. I would tell them everything we're going to do and say, hey, please, hey, ask your kids questions. Uh, you know, hey, pull out the, the you know, the, the document we read and, and go over it with them. Well, they asked you this question. Well, what was your response? Because the more that you as a parent show your child that education is important, the more likely that they're going to be engaged and, and achieve greatness there. And number two, you as a parent are super involved in what's going on in the school. So you can go up there and go, hey, I saw this assignment. What, what's going on with this? You know, what, yeah. what, why do you ask my kid these type of questions? And again, so you start working your way up, be very involved with your kid to ask those questions. You know, it always frustrates me. Kids start, I got four little ones at home and, you know, kids start off, you know, that this excitement of learning and a lot of times over time they lose that as they get into high school and things like that. So engage them, get their minds going, you know, Mm. see what their talents are and continue to ask those questions. But with your local school, hey, ask questions at the school board meetings. I think one of the best things we've seen over the last few years is parents are coming to school board meetings. They're asking questions. They want to see the curriculum. They want to be involved in what's going on in the school. Go to those meetings, ask your board members, you know, give them questions, give them the material. Hey, this happened here. 
that is how we're going to get this back on track where our schools start representing our values. Because right now, I'll give you one little anecdote of this. In the state of Oklahoma, we passed a bill that said your schools cannot require you to wear masks. It passed. 90% of the legislature voted for it. Wasn't a tough vote at all, right? Instantly, we have dozens of schools across the state that tried to pass locally some kind of mask mandate by saying, well, technically it's not our board, it's our principal, our student. Mm. And I'm going, what is the deal, guys? Like the state overwhelmingly said, don't do this. But our boards were that out of line with Oklahoma value. So get good board members. Hey, I'll make a pitch. Run for school board. We need good Mm. conservatives on school boards that are overlooking. And by the way, I always hit people with this. The, The superintendent, their boss is the school board. And the school yeah. board's boss is the community. And if we get that out of whack, and I hear this all the time, I talk to the school board that goes, well, I mean, the superintendent told me this and that. And I go, well, you know, you're their boss, right? Like, that's, <laughs> right. Mean, pepper them. Tell them that's not yeah. good enough. Um, and so yeah. I think that's how we get our schools back on track. We get parents more involved. We can demand transparency from our schools and through legislation, school choice, give parents the ultimate say in what's going on in their school Make everything be transparent and put on a school website where, as a parent, you can see everything right there. That's how we ensure we get this indoctrination out of our schools. Yeah. I'm a fan of school choice. I think that is um, very healthy. And since our taxes are paying for schools, I think we should have some say in where they go. Uh, How how does that connect to the um, philosophy or ideology of stay involved in public schools? How do you you connect to those two? So – the competition that comes from school choice and the and the ultimate as a parent being able to go to your school and say, hey, this is a problem. If you don't correct it, yeah, right. I'm taking my kid over here. And by the way, that state aid is going with my kid. So, mm. I mean, it, it is this incentive. It's the free market, you know, which, by the way, it works everywhere. I love how people try to argue right. that it won't work in education. I'm <laughs> right. like, it works in every industry it's ever been tried in. Right. So right. inject that in and that further empowers parents in the sense, too, of not only can they choose another school, but when they walk in in a board meeting and go, hey, I don't have to stay here with my kids. So if you guys don't get this right, if you don't get this curriculum out of the classroom, I'm taking little Johnny down the road. And by the yeah. way, I got a lot of parents with me that are going to take him down the road. That right there shifts the balance of power to parents mm. and creates this incentive for schools to be much more um, open to listening to parents. Yeah, that's good. Um, when you talk about uh, philosophy of education, or maybe I could ask it this way, um, what it is that teachers should be teaching, (laughs) or what should be happening in school. Um, Again, I think a lot of us are confused about that. I I, I don't, actually, I don't feel like I'm confused about it, but I think a lot of people are confused about it. Um, And then we see videos of teachers talking about how, you know, they're with their kindergarten class, and they have four days of pride conversations with kindergartners, all these things. Um, I'm sure you've had a lot of classes on philosophy of education and what should happen and how it should happen, but boil that down for us. As a parent, what should I expect from a school and what should I expect from my child's teacher? Well, frankly, you know, one of the problems is a lot of our colleges of education teach absolute nonsense. It's this very modern (laughs) view of things that has no, listen, there, there is a reason why when you look at, you know, I mean, going back to even ancient Greece, ancient Rome and early American history, we focused on the basics It was classical learning was understanding uh, reading, writing, arithmetic and mastering those things before you move on into, you know, debate and argumentation and critical thinking. Well, you got if you don't know the facts, how are you going to intelligently argue about anything if you don't know the facts? But by the way, in our society today, 
you know, when the left has their way, facts don't matter. Just emotions matter, right? Yeah. So yeah. they don't care about a mastery of the facts. What a great education should look like is that mastery of the basics. In the early grade levels, your kids need to learn to read and write and master basic mathematics. Those are the building blocks of which the other types of learning come. If you don't understand mathematics, how are you going to get into science? If you don't understand how to read, how are you even going to do a deep dive into American history mm. if you can't read very well and comprehend complex reading? I mean, that's the other thing is you have more and more in our education system that they don't have you reading primary documents. This is, yeah. okay, I'm sorry, I'm going to get in a rant on yeah, this do too. It. Yeah. As a history teacher, it drives me crazy. Well, I'm going to have you read what a 1960s professor sure, said sure, about the sure. Declaration of yep. Independence. Yep. I, I, with my kids, I go, no, no, no. You're going to read the Declaration. You're going to read the Federalist Papers. You're going to read the Anti-Federalist Papers. You're going to read Thomas Jefferson's letters. And yeah. guess what? You can understand. It, it, by the way, that is such a, I'm telling you, it is condescending to tell kids in high school, well, you can't understand it. I'm going to let you read a liberal professor in 1970s telling you what that actually meant. No, they need to be in the primary sources. They need to be reading it and doing some critical thinking. But again, before you get there, you have to have a mastery of the basics. Your teachers should be focusing on making sure your kids know the basics early on. And as time goes on, you're going to see that build into complex text, reading them from primary sources. And then when you get into high school, the conversations need to be changing about what are your talents, what are you good at, and do we need to be getting you into college classes? Do we need to be getting you into local votech or, or, or trade skill positions? Do we need to be getting you in externships, internships? But if your school isn't having these conversations with your kid, again, I kind of walked you through elementary to, to high school. Sure. If they're not talking to them like that in high school, all they're going to do is stick, shoot a kid out in 18, at 18 years old who goes, well now, well, now what do I do? You know, I guess I go to college. I guess that's what I'm supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. Instead of at 16, 17 going, you know, I like to work with my hands. So I started a welding class. Maybe right. you liked it, maybe you didn't. But I would rather kids figure out what they like and don't like and what they're good at at 15, 16, 17 rather than 26 with $120,000 yeah. in debt going, yeah. this isn't what I want to yeah, do. Yeah, right, right. Um, well, let me ask this. Are you hopeful about the future of education? Do you think that we can, and, and again, Oklahoma is deeply red, um, different than a lot of places in the country, but are you hopeful that we can turn this around? And so my second question connected to that is, um, I think we have to change colleges because these young teachers who are going to the elementary schools are coming out of colleges where they're taught that this is acceptable. How do we change that? So I guess it's two things. Are you hopeful, and how do we fix the college situation? Oh, I, I am incredibly hopeful. I, I mean, what I see here is the left has finally they, – they've shown their ankle. I mean, they, they finally showed us in a much more blatant way. I told you the story about you know me in a training yeah. where they were downgrading yeah. the Declaration of Independence. Well, man, they have come so out in the open now of just saying, hey, it's called critical race theory, and you've got to be told that mm. if you're white, you're a racist, and we, there needs to be discrimination against you. I mean, yeah. they have really made it where people go, wait, what? That's in my school? Yeah. And the sexualization of our kids? Right. I think we have reached a fever pitch level where parents, grandparents are going, no, no, no. That's not happening. What what can I do? I hear this all the time. What can I do? You know, I've never been that involved, but I'm involved now because I saw what was going on, and I'm going to help help these kids out. So I think we've got people across the country with conservative values that are saying, no, 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 we're not going to do this. I want to know everything that's being taught in our school, and let's have that discussion. So I am very 
you know, very optimistic about the future. If we have good folks in place, yeah. good leaders that will be reflective and listen to parents. I'm telling you, parents know best and parents are engaged in a way that, that, that they haven't been in years. So I'm telling you, I get parents, I talk to parents every day and they're telling me, hey, this is going on here. This is going mm. on here. So if we continue to listen to them, we're going to be on the right track. Colleges of education. I'm going to give you two things here. Tennessee did a great job with that. We're looking at something like this in Oklahoma, which is, hey, if you start hiring diversity, equity, inclusion officers, if you start paying for courses and you require people to go to this type of training, you get no, you get no, uh, no funding. Mm-hmm. They put one sentence in their higher ed funding bill that all of a sudden, and now that doesn't mean it's over. Now they're going to call it other things and things like that. But they put them on notice. We find you doing this. Good luck finding funding elsewhere because we're not going to fund you as a state because that doesn't represent our values. I think that's a great step. And I think the other one is I, we have started unpacking this in Oklahoma. and We're going to continue to move down this road. College of Education, they need to be showing that they're actually preparing teachers in a way that's meaningful for mm. kids. Part of the reason we're having so many teachers leave the profession, I hear this all the time, is they go, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. They want to talk to me about philosophy. and all. No, no, no. Teach me how to teach my subject, yeah. and then teach me how to do classroom management, how mm. to get discipline of the classroom. Don't tell me all this ideological stuff and try to turn me into a social justice warrior. Teach me how to do this. So we've got to hold those colleges accountable. But here's the other thing. If a local banker wants to go teach at a public high school, math, finance, why in the world would we stand in the way of them doing Right, that? sure, sure. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. We need to have pathways available for folks that have worked in, real, in the real workforce outside of just academia who say, hey, you know, I would, hey, can you imagine, you know, folks that want to go into the classroom and go, hey, I'll, I'd love to come back and teach this class. We need to make those certifications easy for folks to get. Again, the teaching profession is amazing. It's what, it's what I chose to do yeah. because I wanted to impact kids. I wanted to have that type of impact on, on, the, on the world around me. People are drawn to it. Don't put up barriers that don't allow folks that went a different career path to get into teaching. Don't force every teacher to go through a college of education. Hey, if you're going to do a good job as a college of education, you should be able to recruit folks to come in for your uh, for your degree path. But if you don't, that's fine. We're going to allow folks to come in the profession from other pathways because there is true value in going out and working in a work for, in the workforce in a position. It brings value yeah. to kids to hear from folks with that kind of background. Yeah, that's good. Um, a lot of other questions I could ask, but if, if there were one thing you could change, you, you, and I know you work at this every day, but if you had a magic wand, you didn't have to ask anybody's permission, and you could change one thing in public education, what would that thing be? Yeah, I mean, my one thing was, you know, I, I would have money follow the kids and have parents choose their educational options, whether it's homeschooling, charter school, traditional public school, because, because then the conversation is, okay, parents, you're in charge. All right, let's talk about what's the best education model, yeah. rather than telling people, all right, here's where your kid has to go to school, period. And now let's kind of play around the edges and let's kind of try to convince the school to do this or that. No, no, no. I think then you ultimately are going, hey, I'm in charge. So I want more. And again, we're pushing on this now from from grassroots and for me and my position and the governor here going, hey, how do we get more real workforce type training in the schools that are meaningful, meaningful skills for kids that are employable? Because let me tell you something, too. You know, every, everywhere I've ever taught is a high-poverty area. Kids in high-poverty areas, when you show them that what they're learning equates to them getting a skill that's employable that gets right. them out of poverty, right. Right. that hooks them. Because you know what? They've lived a life of poverty, and they've seen what the effects are on their family. And if you show them, hey, guys, you're good at this. Mm. Uh, let's explore this further. 
I'm telling you, that's how you get a lot of young folks in the high school age, especially going, hey, well, I'd love to make some money. I I would love to get in a career that gives me this pathway. But the way we do that is we unlock those dollars to follow the kid. And then we just start having, hey, parents, you're in charge. Let's have the discussion. You are the ones that will be making these decisions. And that's where you get public sentiment, especially here in a red state like Oklahoma, where we go, hey, we have conservative values. Schools, if you're not going to reflect conservative values, our kids are going to go to this school or that school. And I think you're going to see an education system that is much more reflective of the needs of every learner. Mm. And the last thing on that um, is that our learners, oftentimes in this system, they're cogs in a machine. You have to take four math classes a year. Here's what they are. Yep. You have to take four science yep. classes a year. Here's what they're. Right, well, what if a kid really early on goes, but this is my path? Yeah. Yeah. We've got to start unlocking that where to go, no. Be reflective of the individual learner. We're all different. God created us all with our own talents, with our own skill sets, with our own interests. So let's start unpacking education. Once you get that basic mm. mastery down of those those subject areas, let's unpack it and make sure that the needs of every learner are being met. That's great. I, I like that perspective a lot. I have four kids, and people always know how kids should be treated and taught until they have them, and then it becomes a whole different discussion, right? <laughs> so I have four kids. Right. I have a 22-year-old daughter who's in college. I have a 21-year-old son who's getting ready to become a police officer. I've got a 14-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son, and they're all very similar. They have the same parents, but they're very, very different in their interests, and this was a, you know, my wife and I were raised kind of in a traditional setting. You finish high school, you go to college, you get a job. And this was, uh, like, we had to sit down and talk about this. Like, we've got four kids, and they just don't have the same interests we do. They sure. they have different skills and talents, so what do we push them toward? Part of it was pushing them toward junior college. Um, but then beyond that, saying, well, my 14-year-old, for instance, she's so smart and so talented, and she's good at school, but she doesn't like it. She has zero interest in becoming or going on to college. She's homeschooled. She's got a part-time job, what she loves. We're pushing him, pu- pushing her toward learning some skills that she can take into life and do some other things that she enjoys. And that's the right way to look at it. What do the individual children need? I think that's such an incredible uh, perspective on that. Well, frankly, you know, that is my core principle, is we've got to look at education. Every decision we make in this way, every kid is an individual that is unique. Yep. They were created by God as that, that way, right? So all of our policies have to reflect that belief Hey, you know, reject the socialist Marxist belief of no, 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 no. We, 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 here's the plan. We've already developed the full plan for life. And every time I talk to people, I go, did your, did your career path follow just the the (laughs) simple traditional route? No, most of us, you try this, you tried that. You thought about this. You had this, you never would have guessed it ended up this way. So why do we tell kids, Hey, this is the, this is the only path to success. Like it's got to look just like this. No, it doesn't have to look just like that. That's not the way God created us. And when you force young people into a one-size-fits-all model, half of them go, oh, okay, this isn't yeah. me. I yeah. don't like it. And, and the other thing that when you start unpacking that and you really start saying, no, no, no I, I want to make sure this is individualized for you, what you start seeing is, first of all, our system right now is set up to make a bunch of college professors, mm-hmm. right? It's like, well, hey, after high school, you go to college, and then, yeah. you, get a, then you go get your master's. Yeah. And I mean, and, but if you want to keep going, you get your doctorate. I'm right. going, okay. We don't need a bunch of college professors. Hey, we have some. Right. But what we need to be doing is these off every step of the way have all these paths that say, hold on a second, you're really good at this. So, you know, these are some options you might want to start thinking about right now. And that needs to start right at the end of junior high mm-hmm. and all the way through. And that's one of the things we're pushing. We started off the conversation with you saying, you know, hey, you, you kind of got all these different uh, roles here, these different hats you wear over these other agencies. Yeah. One of the things we are so focused on is – I want off ramps and on ramps at every step of the way. 
I don't want a guy going, I went to a career tech yeah. and I've done a year, yeah. but now if I go to college, I start from year one, or, you know, zero credits. Yep. We have pushed them and said, no, that we have got to have a system where learners, when they figure out, I've been in college, but now I'd like to go learn a trade. How can we make that as easy a transition as possible so we're connecting folks all the way from 15, 16, all the way up to whatever you're as an adult? If you want to get a training or, or jump in and out of the system, yeah. how do we make it easy for you to do that? And that is, but that starts with believing everybody's yeah, unique. Good. God created them that way, and we're aligning what we're doing for the best of the individual, not the collective. Yeah, that's fantastic, um, man. I appreciate what you're doing and your perspectives. Uh, where can people follow you, learn more about you? Um, I think certainly need to get your perspectives on this going forward. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I've got social media accounts. So Ryan Walters, uh, you know, on Twitter, on Facebook, I try to keep that going. You know, I'm in the middle of an election cycle now. So I've got my website up, Ryan Walters for Oklahoma. You know, again, I'm, I am pushing for a conservative view of education. You hear my vision moving forward. This is a vision that, that I have worked on with parents from across the state of Oklahoma teachers across the state of Oklahoma. So I appreciate anybody following me. I try uh, my best to be very active on yeah. social media. And again, so I, I encourage anyone to, to go want to follow and learn more to follow those uh, websites and social media there. You probably have the only Twitter account in America that has the um, secretary for public education and the governor playing basketball against two high school kids. You're probably the only one I've ever seen that has that, which is uh, pretty cool. So I told him like these two kids challenges <laughs> to basketball and he's like, let's go do it. And I was like, you know, they're not like just challenging us because they're not good at basketball. And I walk in right. and I go, all right, guys, how good are you? And one of them's like, well, I averaged 27 points a game. And the governor goes, you're guarding him. I'm like, great, thanks. So, yeah, uh, we definitely, uh, they got the best of us, but it was a good time. That's good. Oh, uh, man, I hope we can talk some more. And uh, if you need anything from us, for sure, let us know. But Ryan Walters, really appreciate it. Hey, I, I loved it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for what you're doing. I'd happy to come on anytime. Sure. I appreciate that perspective from Ryan Walters. And again, this is not just the perspective of a teacher, as important as that is, not just the perspective. But he has not only had the experience of teaching, but he's had the experience of being a part of administration and now uh, really being the chief administrator of a public education system in the state of Oklahoma. And from there, he has a unique perspective, not only on what is happening in Oklahoma, but what's happening across the country and uh, so grateful he'd take a few minutes to join us. Uh, these are conversations we must continue to have because they are so critical. This is a conversation, this is an episode that you're going to want to share out with folks that you know who need to see this the right way, have the right perspectives on this, so please share this out. You can do that by first being subscribed to the podcast. Wherever you're listening from, make sure you're subscribed. And then go over to YouTube. You can find our YouTube channel, The Situation Report. Go to YouTube, search for The Situation Report. You'll find our channel. Hit subscribe. Now make, sure you, make sure you're sub subscribed, as the word indicates, subscribed. <laughs> but then after that, go to the notification bell. Hit that. Hit that. Uh, you need to do both. The notification bell allows you then to be notified when new content comes online three times a week. We push out new episodes of this podcast, which we're very thankful for. From there, you can listen, of course. You can watch, and that's great. You can also share content out. You can leave us uh, comments or questions, and uh, we'd love to connect with you there. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
Many of you know that my day job is working for an organization called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I've had the opportunity to work with the Mighty Oaks Foundation for a little over 10 years now and very grateful for that opportunity. I served in the United States Marine Corps and left in 2003. When I came back from Iraq and got out of the Marine Corps, I transitioned and had some of the same struggles that many of our veterans today have. Uh, That transition time can be very, very difficult. I moved on with the help and support of my family and others in my close-knit community and really, in many ways, tried to walk away from my service. It was too hard, too difficult for me to look back, to remember, to stay connected, and so I chose not to. About 10 years after I walked away, I was reconnected with many of the men that I had served with in Iraq and even before that Iraq deployment and came to understand that so many of the men that I served with did not do well. I came home and I struggled, but I had a family around me and I had a community around me that helped me to get back on my feet and continue moving forward. So many of those that I had served with, however, did not have the same opportunity. They came home and didn't have that family around them, that community that could lift them up. And so they made some decisions, decisions that we talk about often in the veteran community. I was reminded about 10 years after my service that some of the men that I served with in Iraq came home and struggled and decided that it would be best for them to end their lives. Others who had not taken their lives, but who had struggled from one relationship to the next, from one job to another, and had never really gotten back on their feet. I learned after 10 years that walking away from my military service was not really an option. (laughs) You see, we think we can hang our uniform in the closet for the last time and walk away, but our obligation to those that we served with remains. It was at that time that I had the opportunity to get connected to the Mighty Oaks Foundation. It was just getting started. I met our founder, Chad Robichaux, and together we began to work on what is today a national nonprofit serving veterans, active duty service members, and more and more the first responders in our community. That's what we do. You see, Chad served in the Marine Corps as well, and both of us have an understanding, and so many of the folks, many, many folks that work with us now who served in the military and in the first responder community understand that we may get out, we may hang the uniform up, but we still have an obligation to care for those who have served or are serving. That's exactly what we do at the Mighty Oaks Foundation every single day. We run programs across the country for those who have served, veterans, or are serving, active duty service members, those who are serving in their community as first responders, police officers and firefighters, and others in that first responder community. We serve them by helping them to understand that there is life beyond their service, that their identity should be wrapped up in more than a uniform or a job that they've done or are doing, that there is a purpose, that there is a plan. In fact, that God, the creator, has something he intends for them. And that if they'll simply align their lives to the life that he has for them, so much of the trauma, so much of the difficulty, so much of their past, so many of those things that have a hold on them, they may not go away, but they won't maintain the hold and the control. Here's the message we try to convey and communicate. There is hope. And there is a community of people found within the Mighty Oaks Foundation that understand where you've been because we've been there. We don't have it all figured out. We're certainly not perfect, but we've taken some steps to move forward and we want to take you with us. That's what we do. How do we do that? Again, by communicating the fact that there is hope, by connecting with others who've been there and know how to move forward and by getting around you, 
and supporting you as you begin to take those very important steps yourself. The Mighty Oaks Foundation is blessed to have supporters across the country that make it possible for us to do the work that we do at no cost to the veteran, the active duty service member, or the first responder. For you to attend our program, you simply need to set aside five days and come to one of our locations, one of our facilities. We'll do the rest. There will be no cost to you for the program, no cost for the transportation to get you to the program. We do all of the planning and all of the logistics. You simply need to get there. We want to remove every obstacle for you to get the help, the encouragement, the strengthening, <laughs> the hope, the renewal that you need. We're thankful for the opportunity to do that. Perhaps you are not a veteran or a service member. You're not in the first responder community, but you care about those who have served and are serving our communities. Well, you may fall into the other category then. Perhaps you're someone that can support what we do financially to make it possible for those folks to come along. Maybe your support is not financial support, but you know someone in your community, in your town, in your church, uh, in a club, or something else that you're a part of that could use this kind of support and encouragement. Plug them in. Let us help them. Let us get them on the road. No cost to them. We want to do the work, but we need you to get them to us. That was a lot of words. If you listen to the show, you know I say a lot of words sometimes. So let me point you to the one place where you can get all your questions answered. MightyOaksPrograms.org is our website. MightyOaksPrograms.org. There you will find more information about what we do as an organization. There's an application for those who would like to apply. Fill that application out. Our team will get back to you, set everything else up. If you would like to support the work of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, you'll find a place to do that there as well. And there is also a section for resources. So many of you know people who need help but may not start by coming to a program, attending a program, but they would read a book, they would watch a video, they would listen to a testimony. We have those resources there for you as well. So please come and join us at the Mighty Oaks Foundation's website, mightyoaksprograms.org. Our veterans, active duty members, and first responders need our support. Maybe you're in that category. You need our support. And that begins by going to the Mighty Oaks Programs website, mightyoaksprograms.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.